the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I was reading in John through much of the passage that I'm going to be giving to you and hopefully ending this section on John 15 for you that deals with persecution. And perhaps from that, I have learned some practical counsel, advice from God through His Word and Spirit on how I can handle rejection. Now, if you think I'm, you know, rough and tough and hard to diaper, some of you see that as my personality. I am pretty dominant. I want you to see me more as an Oreo cookie. I am hard on the outside, but I am very mushy on the inside, you know. Criticism and rejection and marginalization causes me great pain and a tremendous amount of sleep loss. But nonetheless, with God, you can still remain strong. And I don't know if I'll be strong enough if they were to, and I don't want to be crass, either pull my fingernails out, boil me in oil, or set me on fire. I don't know how strong I'll be then. But I do know that God does have in his word what we need to do to be able to handle the rejection we as Christians might face. Now those of you that are listening on the radio or the internet or new here today and you're on the outside of faith and you're hearing all of this stuff, most of you will probably say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity if I've got to get into that kind of thing. Well, I can understand and there is a cost when you become a Christian. Now it costs God the death of his only son and salvation is free. But once you trust Christ as Savior, discipleship is very expensive. It'll cost you your life. It doesn't mean you won't get saved. It doesn't mean you can't get saved. Definitely you'll never lose your salvation, but you will certainly not have the intimacy with the Lord and your life will be meaningless unless you fully surrender to Him as a believer in Christ. But the Lord is such a good God and a loving Father. Now you need to know where this section on rejection and persecution fits into the scheme of things. And I'm only doing that not to you know, give you a bunch of Bible history, I'm giving this to show you a sovereign God who knows how to set up his people to prepare for what's coming. So let's briefly review. John 15 starts out where Jesus says, you need to abide in me and let my words abide in you. And that's a responsibility. So he's telling these guys at a time that they are now walking away from what we might call the Last Supper on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, a matter of hours before Jesus suffers the ultimate of persecution and finally death, all right, and about two months or less from the launch of the New Testament church. And so I want you to see it in the scheme of things. He said, you need to abide in me. So for you to handle persecution, I can give you all these principles, but unless you're abiding in the Lord, these principles are just nothing more than a list in our notebook. So you've got to abide in Him. And once you have that, you're drawing from Him that life-giving experience so that now these principles become activated in your life. 
It's kind of like the catalytic agent. Well, the next thing he tells us to do in a relationship is we're to love others. And it's interesting because if we're going to love others, then we need to love them by living a life of servant and kindness and grace and mercy. But we can do all of that and then everybody will pat us on the back and say, my, what nice neighbors we have. And wow, what a great guy to work with. What a great gal who just helps me out when I need a babysitter. We get all the praise. So he does want us to love them so we have a platform upon which we might be heard. But the real love comes is when we begin to tell them about Christ. But we have to do that first by dipping our arrow in honey and doing something before it's shot. And don't let the distance of time be too far apart because we don't have a lot of time. So he says to love others. So your motivation to do this is not to get another notch on your Bible that you've took a hit for Jesus and persecution. You're doing this because you're abiding in the Lord and you love Him. And because you love Him, you love those whom He loves, which is others. And now you're going to demonstrate that. Which now brings us to the last part, which is you're going to tell others. Now, in the telling of others, I promise you that you will be persecuted. And some of that persecution will be because you tell them weirdly. You know, if I went out on the street or the Alamoana Mall and I walked up to a person and said, Hey, buddy, you're going to burn in hell. Listen to me now. Do you think you're listening to me? Oh, I'm persecuted for Jesus. See, I got my persecution. You're being weird. That's why we offer a Sunday school connection group here and how to lovingly engage someone with a healthy conversation and carefully and prayerfully move them into the gospel message. But even if you do all the right techniques biblically, it doesn't mean you'll be away from persecution. And it's interesting, all through the life of Jesus, he modeled everything that he mentioned. So he's going to model what persecution is all about. And I hope you lock that in your brain because I'm going to bring out a significant point in how do we handle persecution a little bit later on. But remember, he's preparing them for something. He's preparing them for the launch of the church. And that they will withstand rejection and persecution. I'm going to ask you to do something that will, for most of you, might, you might feel a little uncomfortable doing right now. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to look to the person next to you and look down the aisle that way and look down the aisle that way. Don't look at me. Just look down the aisle that way. Look down the aisle that way. And for those of you that want to be real funny, look to the people behind you, okay? And look to the people in front of you. Now, why am I having you do that? Now, look up here real carefully. You and me today are the result of 11 guys obeying what Jesus taught in the Gospel of John chapter 15. They withstood the rejection and the persecution. And my God, should we be grateful. Amen? Now while we look back at that, let me tell you that there is a generation, should the Lord not come, that is waiting for us to tell, to speak out, to live out, and to withstand whatever persecution we might have as well. So while Jesus said to this, these guys that they need to abide and they need to love and they need to tell others, he's also telling us by way of example, he did all of that. What did he do? He and his father were one. There's an abiding that you can never split. And then he loved others to the uttermost and to the guttermost. And then he suffered the ultimate persecution when he went to the cross to take all the sin of all men on himself once and for all. So he modeled it. Then he mentioned it to these guys and basically they lived it out. Do you recall my assignment that I gave some of you that were willing to go a little bit further last week that I told you to do this week? Probably don't even remember the assignment, let alone did it. But I asked you to go through the book of Acts. And when you read the book of Acts, it's a book of nothing but rejection and persecution. 
And yes, there are some bright lights of revival and there's bright lights of people coming to faith and bright lights of churches being planted all over Asia and growing all over the world, okay, but there's that persecution. This week, I just didn't have a lot of time, but I went through it one more time and I don't have time to open up all of these. The rich story of people's names and what they went through and what their persecution was. Not everybody died, but they all suffered. I found it in Acts chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23, 27, and 28. Which means there are more chapters that allude to the suffering of our forefathers in the faith than not. And so let me encourage you one more time to go through that. And I want you to realize that these are real men. These are real men that put on their togas. These are real men that had to eat and drink and go to the bathroom. These are real men that some had families and friends. Real men that could have walked away. And I'm sure there were others. Not to mention the women who at the same time took a stand. And those women weren't just single women who didn't have really much to you know, lose or single. No, these are women that had a lot to lose. The potential for being married. The potential to have children. Never had it. Or those who had a husband. Had wife. Listen carefully. You say, well, I can't remember any women that went do that next. Well, let me help you with this. When you, the next time you read about Paul, Saul, going into the cities and he's throwing men and women into jail to be persecuted, I want you to remember those men and women had real lives. They wanted their hair to look nice like you do. They wanted to sit around and talk story with the other guys in the neighborhood. I was going over there. But they took a stand for Christ. Saul came into town and they're gone. That's all we know. Except Jesus knows their name. Amen. So I don't know where we are on this, but for the few that are saying, I want to take a stand, but I'm nervous. Let me come alongside you to remind you in this passage are some basic principles and how to wrap your head around rejection and persecution. As we begin, I want to talk about why people will come against us for our faith. Why would they hate us? What happens when that happens? Generally, it begins by you taking your stand. When I say faith, it could be the whole gospel or it could be just that you're taking a stand for biblical truth or simply that you will not tell a lie on your job, you will not cheat on your taxes, that you will do a full day's work for full day's pay and you won't go longer on your lunch breaks. Simple little things like that that are biblical. All right. What happens when they start seeing you do this and they attribute it to Christianity in your life that something's changed. They have this feeling, and you're going to get this feeling from them, that the intimacy you had with them, and I'm not talking sex, is now drifting further and further apart. You just you have a feeling, and they have a feeling, that they haven't figured you out, you haven't figured them out, and it's just not comfortable. That's level one. Level two is more passive. Passive is where they kind of not call you as much. You get forgotten for a lunch, uh, a, a lunch party or something. It's a around the house, uh, the, the, the family is calling everybody else, but you get the news last, okay? That's kind of a passive way that they're coming against you. And then you have the aggressive way when they come against you where that, for one reason, I didn't get promoted. I didn't get pushed up the ladder in the military here. And I, I, I did everything, but they don't tell me. And is, is there, what's, what's with this? You'll maybe never know. But that is an active aggression against you for your faith. And let me tell you, folks, it is a tsunami that is coming. 
Every year more stuff is voted on that's putting Christians in a position to be criminals. Enough said, let the Spirit take that even further. So it's coming. So what do we do? We learned last week to not take it personally. Jesus said, they hated me before they hated you. So don't take it personally. What that simply means is, if they hated Jesus, obviously they're going to hate you. The more you identify with Christ, the more the hatred will be. Because really, they're taking it out on you. But if you never took a st- stand for Christ, you wouldn't be a part of that equation. So it's, it's not really about you. It's this unleashing of Satan's influence on their life and all hell coming against Satan. And that's been the argument ever since Adam fell. Number two, don't try to fit in. Because you are not of the world, Jesus says. Don't try to fit in. Sometimes we try to be so much like the world to reach the world that the world doesn't want what we have because they already have what we have, if you know what I'm trying to say. And so in in order for us to reach them, we have to show them that there is something different, something better. And yeah, maybe there's a little bit of persecution, but it's all right. I like what one person said. Yeah, you call me a Christian nut. I may be a nut, but I am screwed to the right bolt. And I don't mean anything disrespectful of the Lord, but we're connected to God. Which brings us to number three, don't try to avoid rejection. To avoid it means to keep your mouth closed. And that's why in Scripture it says a slave is not greater than his master, if you look in verse 20. And so, again, if, if uh, Jesus is going to get all of this, how can we be better than Jesus to avoid all of that kind of stuff? So, don't try to avoid that. It's going to come our way. I've been requested here, what is the church doing to get ready for the same-sex homosexuals wanting to come into membership and use your property and all of this stuff. Dear ones, I can tell you that we could have the very finest of attorneys, the legal eagles of Christianity in our church, on our island, national organizations has given their whole career for decades to how to figure this out, write all the documents. But when it's all said and done, it can be pushed all over the map and we still can lose. And we get so distracted and overprotecting ourselves that we really forgot that the real battle is and how much we can shield ourselves. The real battle is maybe trying to reach the world and maybe minimize some of this that way. I'm not here to develop a strategy. I'm just letting you know it's coming and we cannot always avoid it. And there may be a time that I will go to jail. I hope not and I'm going to do it as graciously as possible, but mentally and emotionally we have to prepare that, that we will. Now, that's ultimate. I mean, if you're going to go to jail, maybe they're going to beat me. Maybe they're going to beat me. Maybe they're going to actually kill me. Oh, oh, okay, that's ultimate. For us right now, it's going to happen slowly. It's going to be fines, penalties, those kinds of things that we're going to have to pay. And so while we want to shield ourselves from that because it's all God's money, it's still all God's money. And he'll still provide it for us if we're taking a stand. So, again, we can't always avoid rejection. Number four, remember that rejection is not universal, which simply means this, we are not alone when, reje- when rejection happens. It's if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. In other words, if you're keeping the word with the Lord, they're keeping the word with the Lord, that means you have many brothers and sisters. This would be a time for me to break and to teach you all about Elijah, who at one time says, I'm the only prophet that didn't bow my knee to Baal, woe is me. And the Lord said, ah, 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 ah. There, there are thousands of others in heaven. We're not in this alone. I don't mean we need to be cocky about it, but we're not alone in it. So let's go into some new material for today. And I do want to bring this series to a close. And that is when persecution happens, respond with compassion. Respond with compassion. I think a lot of the rejection and persecution we as Christians are getting today is because there are so many bashers out there. I hope you heard that correctly. There are so many bashers of things that are not of God by Christians 
that it blows back on those who are trying to take a stand for what is right. If you will, follow, on, follow along carefully as I read verses 21 through 24 to you. And here's what you read if you have a Bible similar to mine. John chapter 15. It says, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Which is very interesting, because a lot of that could be even in the name of God. But they really don't know God. They're just naming God. In fact, the ones who come against Christians supporting something that is unbiblical, and they're doing it because they believe that they have God in an interpretation of Scripture. It just says they've... Watch this now. I say this as loving as I can. They have chosen to twist Scripture, and they're doing it because they're manufacturing their own God so that their God that they created permits them to do that which is not biblical. So let's go a little bit further. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned or they would not have guilt in their life. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. The next phrase is important. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have this guilt, this sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. So I want you to know that this hatred is against Christianity, but it's really against Christ and it's really against God. Please remember that. It's not against the God of the Bible. I mean, it is against the God of the Bible, but they're using their God to fight this. So what do we do with all of this stuff? Remember I told you a few moments ago that Jesus was our model of persecution? I'm going to give you a story, and then I want you to finish this statement, okay? Jesus goes through all of his death experience and rejection. He's now on the cross. He's looking at the soldiers and men below him, They've stripped him, and now they're kind of betting on who can get the better garment for themselves. All of this is after they spit, him, spit on him, beat him, slashed him, did everything other than actually kill him, because nobody could do that. Jesus had to give up his own life. Now finish this phrase. He looked upon those people, could have called 10,000 angels to wipe them all out, could have yelled and brought about insurrection, could have been raising an army for three years, preparing for this very moment when he knew it was going to happen. He didn't do that. He said, Father... What else did he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those who have saturated themselves in biographies of great men and women of days gone by now, or perhaps some current Christians who live in a third world country, but mostly those that have days gone by, they have suffered the most horrific type of persecution imaginable to man. And yet the ones that I've read... Some we know their names. Some of them were just on the same ministry team with them that suffered. But they seemed to, no matter what was happening, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the compassion. That's what drives us to be able to come alongside these people and stay with it to the very end, really proving that what we believe is true. We don't cut and run. Tremendous compassion. If you need a verse to help you, because I believe sometimes that's very difficult, may I suggest you memorize and meditate on Matthew 5, 44. If you want to, just quickly turn over there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. The reason I'm showing you this verse is because the Lord has given the Sermon on the Mount, and He's basically given that to the group of guys, but it's for people throughout time, which would include us. I'm wondering if He was thinking about the future persecution that the church was eventually going to have. It's quite possible because He knows the end from the beginning. But look what He says in Matthew chapter 5, 44. And if all you needed was one verse to help you develop an attitude of compassion, 
This would be the verse. It says this, Jesus speaking, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just, on the righteous and the unrighteous. I like to look at it. I'm to pray for them. I'm to do good to them. I'm to bless them. And I'm to love them. And he did all of that. How important that it is. So why would we want to be compassionate to a hostile world? Here's two answers. Number one, because they don't know the Father. They're rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting God. They don't know the Father. They don't know how good that he is. Number two is because they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, they're so wrapped up in their sin, they're so sinful in what they're doing because they've rejected Christ and all that he is. So what's happening now with them when they do that is they are so out of control or in control of Satan, we might say, so out of control, that what can we do in response? We have to say, they can't, watch this, watch this, they can't help it. There's no excuse. They've got this sin, this sin nature. They cannot help this. They don't know the Father. When I look at this, I kind of... This is what runs in my mind. See if it, if it can help you. What runs in my mind, I think about that. They can't help it. They're sinful. They don't know God. They don't know anything about God. They don't have the mind of God. Therefore, they have a secular worldview through and through. They own it, defend it, preach it, proclaim it. They're going to use it as a weapon against us. All of that, they don't know God. And at the same time, they're so wrapped up in their sin that they cannot overcome this in the flesh. So they're given to it. That being the case, here's what I hear in my mind. Two things. Number one, they're either saying this when they're doing all this junk back to me. I don't know Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. I don't know the real Jesus of the Bible. What I know about Jesus, what other told me about Jesus. So in other words, all that does is fuel me to stay strong for what I believe to help clarify it. Now you salesmen will know this term. If you're trying to sell a product to someone and they say no to you, it's because they don't have enough information to say yes to you. So when they're doing this, no, I don't want Jesus, you're a bad person, blah, 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 blah. I want you, they're telling me, I don't know Jesus, tell me more, who is the real Jesus? So use that as an opportunity for you to lovingly wrap your heart around those people and communicate Jesus. That's number one. Number two, the second group, and this is probably more of your violent persecutor against you, and I don't know if we've ever experienced some of them. Some of them are your late-night talk show hosts, but let me get away from that for a minute. These are the ones who do know Jesus. They can spit back to you the gospel. They can tell you, you Christians believe that going to heaven is by faith. You believe that you've got to receive Christ. You believe Jesus is God. And then they give this tirade against us. In other words, it's not that they don't know Jesus. It's that they absolutely reject Christ. Now listen carefully. That is the majority of the camp that is found in Scripture here of that last group that came against all the people in the New Testament that we read about. There's a lot more, but the ones we read about is because not it wasn't, I don't know Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus. And because I don't know Jesus, I've kind of heard it from others, so I'm going to come against you. No, no, no. These are the people that they have heard it. And they are so deceived by Satan through their own heart that they come against you. And what is our response again? I still need to look into their eyes. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. As abiding in Christ and he in me and his word is in me, now I'm letting that 
Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It's Jesus, essentially. It's the exchange life coming out to these people. So that's why I, I pray for you every week, every one of you, that you would be here week after week so I could teach you the Word of God and at least stimulate your thinking to go on and get more teaching because we need the Word. Let's go to number six. Don't look for a reason. There's not ever going to be that central reason for them to overcome the persecution that you're receiving. It says here, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now let me try to take you back. We don't have a lot of time with this, but this is actually taken from David. And David was saying this in the Psalms. And they, the law meaning they owned this. And David was saying in two separate places in the Psalms, he said, I have all these enemies. They all hated me. And even though they wanted money from me that I did not owe them, I still paid them is basically what it says in Psalm 69. So what he's saying is there is no reason for these people to come against me. Now, why am I telling you this? There is no normal, rational reason for the world to come against Christians as vehemently as they are doing right now to us and as they've done historically. There's no reason for them to do that. Now, why would that be the case? If you are an authentic Christian, living an authentic Christian life, then all the things you're doing, keeping the commandments and all the rest, you're doing it to add value to the other people, to peacefully coexist with them, to help them socially, religiously, spiritually, everything else in this world, and even to Buddha of all of that, you're trying to present them with a message of eternal forgiveness so they can have eternal life by someone who died for them that they don't have to do anything but just believe. Do you catch that? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.